hello, hello. Well, hello, hello. Uh, record, call recorder recording. Um, it says uh, I'm two of two in the call today in, in Skype. Skype's, oh. Skype's showing me more things than I've never seen before. Yeah, two of two in the call. There's a gallery. Yeah, share your screen. Browse the web. Do you want to wow. view, do you want to view some documents together? That sounds like a lovely day. <laughs> shall we shall we review some documents well, together? I mean, we could virtually review documents together. I think I actually have plans to view documents with you to get together together really? with you. Yeah. Wow. Some documents. We got some documents. I... <laughs> do you want to should I skip the tutorial though? <laughs> business papers. Business I got a lot of business papers here. <laughs> Sir, uh, what's your job? <laughs> Is I don't know what's this reference to? Is this it's, a, it's uh, Lebowski? Oh, Lebowski. And, that's it. And the answer and the answer to sir, what is your job? Is I'm unemployed. <laughs> I need to watch more Lebowski. Oh, it's so good. Do you are you a fan of um, High Fidelity? Are you are you familiar with that movie? Well, you know, so this is interesting. Um, <laughs> so I, I didn't even know it was going to be interesting. This <laughs> this this is a, I, you have a story about this. I <laughs> I. I I like uh, I like all of those movies that are based on the books by that guy. Oh, right? Nick, Nick Hornby. Nick, Nick Hornby. Hornby, right? Love we him. have we Love yeah we are we are big fans of Nick Hornby in this house. Uh, we we have read uh, all the books. We have seen all the movies. Um, and I I I find uh, High Fidelity uh, quite enjoyable. Um, my wife, on the other hand, does not like it. Um, and and part of the reason she doesn't like it is because I don't think she particularly cares for John Cusack as an actor. But also, she tried she tried reading the book, and she's like, you know, these people are just um, you know, and, and this is a family podcast, so I won't say it. But <laughs> basically, uh, these people these people are a holes, and they I don't are. like them. And yeah. and I yeah, and it's not it's not enjoyable. So, like I said, we we have we have enjoyed all of the the, the books and all of the movies with that with that exception, which I have enjoyed, um, and and she has not. I, I have to confess, I have not read the book. Uh, she's she has read all the books. I think I've only read some of the books, but yeah. I've read all the books. In fact, I would list um, Nick Hornby as my favorite uh, novelist. Um, wow! Yeah, yeah, and 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 this is the, it's a it's a uh, age and stage thing. I I read High Fidelity um, while I was in high school because it it was published while I was in high school, and um, I loved. I I can remember reading High Fidelity. Like, I think I probably read it two or three times in, you know, in, in the time. And then I also really liked About a Boy. I really liked Fever Pitch. Um, I didn't so much like the movie Fever Pitch. Um, but I, I, I just, I mean, I, I enjoyed, I enjoy this, enjoy his storytelling. Um, the, I've not read Funny Girl, which is his most, um, most recent 2014 uh, novel that was uh, it's out of my uh, it's when I stopped reading novels I think um, huh. but, but I, have, I have to say before we get too far into this um, I I have not I've I'm, I was not aware even of Fever Pitch oh Fever Pitch is great so well so Fever Pitch is written as a screenplay and there's a it, it's a uh, well no let me go back it is written it's a it's a nonfiction book um, it, it was listed as a, as a screenplay but it, it's about it. It, it, the Wikipedia says it's his first novel, but it's really about him uh, and his relationship with Arsenal, the football club, which right. is in which is in England, where you get all of your media. 
Um, right, right. <laughs> so, and we should we should explain <laughs> for Americans who are listening um, that when we say football club, we mean soccer. Right, right. <laughs> and when we say Ar- Arsenal, we mean the the soccer club that's named Arsenal. That is not um, about although their logo is a cannon, it is not an arsenal of uh, of any. Ar- it's not an armory or an arsenal of guns or cannons or cannons. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I th- like, I think I read high fidelity first and then I went back and read, um, fever pitch. Um, and, and I remember like, th- these are you know, the dumb things that, that you remember in li- life. I remember that I bought it at the town, both, both of these books I bought, um, at the bookstore, the only bookstore that was in my little town of Port Hope, Ontario, which I don't even know if it still exists, but it was called Furby house books, not Furby as in the terrible uh, toy for uh, uh, t- for kids that I have. Hey, look at that. Furby House Books still exists. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I remember going, like, reading High Fidelity very quickly, like, within a weekend, and then going back to the bookstore and and being like, what else has this guy written? And he, at that point, it had really only written um, Fever Pitch and then a whole bunch of, like, um, essays and, and stuff. So I was, I was like trying to read everything that I could, um, from Nick Hornby. Anyway, um, I, I am conversely to, con, I can, I, I do not agree with, with, um, Kristen's, uh, assessment of, uh, uh, John Cusack or, um, not liking the movie high fidelity. And I don't even know why we started talking about this other than to tell you, I'm going in April to go see um, a special film uh, screening of High Fidelity here in Raleigh, and John Cusack's going to be there to do a Q and A afterwards. And I've never been to anything like that before. Oh, uh, that's that's cool. So speaking speaking of things happening in your neck of the woods, um, did you know that there was recently a Pod Save uh, America from Durham? I do. I did know that, and um, I did not. Uh, I did, we did not go to it. And Danny and I debated over the last week and a half on whether we would go. And we had a, a weekend, as all of our weekends are, full of hockey. And by the time Sunday afternoon rolled around um, and there were still tickets available, we both kind of just decided that we weren't, we weren't going to go. And I, I sat on the couch. Um, mm. all, all, but uh, the recording of that podcast came out. Uh, today, so I haven't it, listened it, to it. Uh, I, I I did listen to it. Is so, it great? It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, okay. It's pretty good. Um, so, that's yeah. Oh, and I have to say, just before we completely leave, uh, Nick uh, Nick Hornby, I just want to say that uh, I also like his band, Nick Nick Hornby and the Range. Nick, yeah, Nick, Nick Hornby. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> sorry, that, that would have been a funnier joke if it came earlier in the conversation. No, that's that's perfect. That's good. I lost. I don't know where my bell is. Someone's, oh no! Someone moved my bell. Someone stole my bell. Where's where is it? I it was on my. Uh, I'll, you're gonna have to be belling for me today. Um, it's not uh, well, and and we should and we should explain. Uh, I'm making a bad joke because there is a an American musician named Bruce Bruce Hornsby, not Hornby, um, and he was in a band called uh, Bruce Hornsby and the Range. Is he so, yeah. is he American or is he Canadian? Uh let's see. He is an American singer and pianist. Mm, mm. Well, there you go. I uh, won a Grammy award. Did you watch the Grammys? <laughs> no, <laughs> I did. I, I really enjoyed them. I like hmm. this. This is something that, you know, I, I, I probably haven't talked too much. Maybe I've mentioned this before. I really like award shows. 
Like I will wow. watch. I will. I will watch the. I will watch the f out of an award show. Um, wow, that's I, uh, that's really weird, man. I know it's. I like the Oscars. I like. I like the Emmys. I'm not a daytime Emmy fan. Um, I, I like the. I like the primetime Emmys. Um, I will watch the American Music Awards. I mean, you you name it. I even, country music awards. I'll watch the CMAs. I'm not ashamed to. I'm not even. I don't even know who these people are. I like. I, I, I kind of like the, what you're saying is you like to see people win stuff. I like I like winning. <laughs> Hashtag winning. Um, I so so this has become this the, more now than when I was uh, b- before Twitter existed. What I really like is just watching. There are maybe a few things that happen in real time that I enjoy with the se- you know the the second screen of my phone. And um, searching out hashtags and seeing what people are talking about about um, shows and and sometimes this happens in sports, um, you know some of the like larger things like the Super Bowl and I'm I'm uh, you know, a self admitted a sports ball fan uh, in in lots of areas but award shows really afford this like watch along read along people are making good jokes um, and the, it's it's part of uh, pop culture the the state of the union address same same kind of thing i like uh, I, I like it, or or any of these like sort of um, you know political or whatever events when everyone is watching um, I, I enjoy that and and award shows for what, what, what about uh, what about Super Bowl yeah I'll watch the Super Bowl I'll watch that and 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 but with the second screen yeah with uh, the second yeah. screen yeah yeah it's the the second screen's open uh um looking looking at stuff um so uh, yeah I watched I watched the Grammys didn't see Bruce Hornsby there but uh, uh but he was nominated uh uh, uh no he was actually won the 1987 Grammy award for best new artist huh so, how about that so there you go. Yeah, and and I, I I the thing that I think is just very cool is he was actually in the Grateful Dead for a couple of years. So <laughs> that's that's just really weird. It is. It is. And did what they had a he had a song. Um, the way it is. That's just yeah. the way it is. Uh, yeah. so, you know, done, done. Some things will never change. Um. So all right, all right. I've got this is um uh Jack Isaiah's favorite part of the podcast. Uh, we haven't made a Jack Kazanich reference in a while, but he always we haven't we haven't we, we always uh, uh, like to talk about things that aren't food safety for Jack's uh, purposes, and um, I have also the new listeners really love it. Yeah, they, they, especially if they think this is a food safety po- podcast. <laughs> um, I've been reading. Uh, um, I think I, I might have mentioned a little bit about this, but I, I started reading the. Um, uh, Beastie Boys book? Did I mention that last? No, last? you did okay. not. So the Beastie Boys wrote a book together. Um, one of the Beastie Boys died a, a few years ago, Adam Yock, uh, MCA. Um, but the remaining members, uh, Adam uh, Horowitz and uh, Mike, Michael Diamond, Mike D, uh, wrote a book about how the Beastie Boys started and, and I'm, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and in um, the, the first, like, half of the book, well, maybe not, first third, talks about New York City... Uh, music scenes in the 1980s and they the Beastie Boys started out as a hardcore punk band and they got really into hip-hop so so that there are a few points in this book where they're like referencing songs referencing artists that uh, and and then say things like stop reading this book and download this song right now and go listen to it which I do because I take directions very very well um, and and I have been this led so so the last I don't know four or five days I've been listening to like the origins of hip hop and groups like 
um, the Sugar Hill Gang and 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 Spoonie G and Busy B and the Treacherous Three, um, and and this is what what's kind of insane about this is I you know so I grew up a like a really big Beastie Boys fan. They were um, they continue to be one of my number number one you know top five favorite bands, um, and they they were inspired by all these like early hip hop artists and I never I never took the time to listen to it. And I part of it I think was I never took the time to go purchase the records. I didn't really know anybody that had any um or th- these albums or CDs and um I was introduced to hip hop from my cousin who gave me a mixtape uh once when I was uh you know visiting as a as a kid like when I was 10 years old and um and but he didn't ha- he didn't give me anything about like the this old school like really like the start of rapping and um, break beats. Anyway, what I, what I want to let our listeners know and let you know is that there's a Netflix show called Hip Hop Essentials or something. Hip Hop and Netflix. And um, I started watching that last night with my kids. Hip Hop Evolution. It's awesome. So if you – it's awesome from a um, – a history standpoint. If even if you're not really into the music, it's just an, a really, really interesting story about. Um, uh, you know, the first couple of episodes are about New York City um, in the mid 1970s and the po- you know, pop culture scene. And I don't. I know you live close. You know, fairly close to um, to to New York, and and you go you go to the city. You've been to the city. I, I didn't know about like. South Bronx being on fire and burning and just dilapidated and and you know the the idea that it was kind of the greatest city in the world but there were parts that were just like socially um and and, and uh economically so so depressed and so problematic and so this this documentary series does a really good job talking about that it was very cool and that's hip hop evolution hip hop evolution Hmm. So, so I, I have to say, so I, I will also do something similar. Um, but usually it, it comes when I'm listening to uh, Roderick on the line Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, Roderick, uh, John and Merlin start talking about something and, uh, they, they did it the other day and I just, I have to share, uh, they reminded me of one of my favorite, uh, Ben Folds five songs, uh, which is entitled, uh, the battle of who could care less, um, which has just like some, just like in that one. One song. There's like like three or four of my favorite lyrics from from things of all time. So, um, yeah. So anyway, ballad, ballad of who, uh, battle of who could care less. Uh, ben Folds five. Awesome. Ben Folds uh, from uh, Durham, North Carolina. So uh, lo- local content there. Uh, the circle from, of life. Oh, sorry, sorry. From Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Oh well, let's which, not make that mistake. Chapel Hill's like the it's like the Durham of of uh, of Orange County, North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> Because Durham's in Durham County and Chapel Hill's in Orange County. It doesn't yet. Yeah, it's a little local content, local knowledge. Uh, cool. I like Ben Folds. Um, I, the, I do too. And I don't I don't listen to much music anymore because I mostly I just listen to podcasts. But that reminded me of I, I really I really like that. Uh, I just really like that song. Cool. And, I, and I like I like that whole album, actually. So. Um, all right. I got I want to move. I want to move off of. Um, you know, things that we're listening to, um, but go to something else. Oh, I want to talk about something I'm watching, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you talk about something you're watching. I want to talk about somewhere I'm going. 
Oh, okay. Wow. Um, so I can talk about somewhere I've been. I went to Albany, but um, but the um, uh, the the thing that that we're watching that we just we unfortunately it was very short short lived. It was finished. Uh, well, so couple couple things. So of course British TV and BritBox, and I've started complaining about BritBox on Twitter and and um, at replying um, the folks from BritBox USA, and they responded to me today. So we'll see if they fix the app. I don't think they will. Uh, it's a terrible app. It's a great service. Um, we just finished watching um the, there's two seasons with two episodes each of the uh detective magre um who is a french detective and this is a british production and the and and it's been there's been a couple of productions over the years but this is particularly interesting because it stars rowan atkinson oh. as magre um and of course you know rowan atkinson Atkinson probably from Blackadder and Mr. Bean um, and and maybe from that lovely scene in the movie that everybody hates about that's about Christmas called Love Actually. Yes, yes. Um, which is and he is he's just he's very and of course, you know, it's all it's set in Paris. Apparently it's filmed in Prague um, and they all have British accents and it's it's quite quite bizarre and quite quite good. Um, but but only for uh, four episodes. So we finished watching that. So and then and we finished watching finished catching up on Vera, um, which is another British TV set in uh, our favorite part of, uh, of England up there in the North Country. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so that's what we've been watching. Excellent. Magre is, uh, it's on the, it's on the Netflix too, it's, I think. Ah, okay. So that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I think, I think yeah, it's, it's pronounced Magre. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I looked it up on the internet. Magre. 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 No, I think it's just Magre. That's how they say it on the on the show. Well, they're British. <laughs> what do they know? What do they, they know? They they they're always they're always like bastardizing the French language and and uh, you know saying things. Uh, you, you, just use, using using what they can what they can gather from that phenomenal language. Um, <laughs> maybe it's not it's not it's not showing up in the Netflix. I just it showed up when I when I uh, searched it. I would like to check this out. Um, so, uh, oh, somewhere. So you, you were in Albany. I've been to Albany. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was unremarkable. Uh, it was, it was not, it was nice. People were nice. It was a good conference. I went to the NECAFs annual meeting, uh, which is the Northeast Center for Food Safety, and saw a lot of folks that I only ever talked to on the phone, got to see the uh, amazing uh, and, and wonderful Betsy Bin, who's always a, a hoot to hang out with, and some other folks as well. So it was it was a nice meeting. Betsy Bin's one of my favorites. She mm-hmm. I, I went to see her in Syracuse last year. Um, and in a, was another... she playing? Was her, was her band playing? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah, she was playing. I know. I think it was maybe I went to a kneecaps meeting. When it oh, was... oh. I don't know. I think I went. To, I went somewhere. Uh, I don't think it was. I don't. I don't think it was kneecap. The last kneecaps meeting was in Maryland, but maybe uh, it was a um, um, New York Produce affiliate? Safety Alliance meeting. No, I think it was like a New York affiliate. I went and talked to maybe oh, oh, IAFB sure. or one of sure. those. Um, all right. So, well, I'll tell you about somewhere I was then, which is not where I was going to go. I, go, but uh, I I went to Louisville uh, last week, <laughs> and I checked it out for us. I did a little advance scouting of. Of the city for the about ten hours that I was there, um, I and I was I, I spoke at an IFT affiliate meeting, um, and was invited by um, the very cool um, Jennifer Vincent, Jen Vincent, who I I think we, she and I kind of think we have met at IAFP. She works for Yum Brands, um, hmm. 
And uh, anyway, it was so uh, it, it was one of the coolest places I've ever given a talk. Whoa. It was uh, yeah, I was at Rabbit Hole Distillery, um, and I'm gonna we, For, we, to give your talk. You're to at the give my talk. To give talk. I was at the distillery to give my talk. Um, so we we'll we'll link to Rabbit Hole Distillery in, in show notes. I will recommend this place. Um, to for anybody who's going to travel to Louisville for IAFP this year, um, this was I, I, I sampled um, two different types of uh, um, bourbon while I was in um, uh, Louisville, and uh, Rabbit Hole was my was my favorite. It also I also have, happened to have more of it um, there than I had uh, at the other one, um, but it was this really really cool place that had. Um, it, a big like loft kind of uh, room on the uh, on the third floor that overlooked the Louisville skyline. It's like a private event place, so it's not so it's not like a tasting room where where you and I can go hang out. But I wonder if and I'm run, I'm gonna run I'm spitballing here, Don. I'm gonna run something by you. I wonder if you and I could do something like a, like a meetup, like a, like a bourbon uh, food safety talk meetup at this place. I don't know how much, I don't know if it costs anything. I don't know anything about it, but would you, should, would you be interested in me investigating this? Uh, this would be in conjunction with the annual meeting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we would do it while we're there. It might not okay. be officially, like, I don't think we can get it into the, uh, <laughs> into the program, but it would be like, uh, like a thing, like people who listen to the, to the podcast, we'll, we'll we're still going to do our live recording. But this would be let's go. We could go hang out like a food safety talk party. And and this is so. This is a this is a place. It's not. It's not. A, you can't. It's not like a bar. You can't just go right. and and drink. But you could you could ha- theoretically have an event there. Yes, theoretically. Wow. <laughs> this I'm going to look into this. Okay, not, you I, you look into this. I'm not prom- I'm not promising anything. Okay. Um, I, I it sounds expensive to me, and I don't you know we are it. we are not a we are not a high budget podcast. I, <laughs> we're zero. No. We're zero budget podcast. Podcast. <laughs> we're a net negative budget podcast. Let me let me see what I can do. Let me okay. you know you know sometimes I can I can work some magic. Um, All right, go so, for it. So anyway, have magic you it up. have you ever had rabbit hole? Maybe the thing is we'll just do a commercial for rabbit hole bourbon <laughs> on, on yes. food safety po- talk podcast. Have you ever had rabbit hole bourbon? I know I'm looking at their website now. They got it's a gorgeous bottle. It's oh, a, I love it. I it was, I, I want to try some. It was awesome. I'm gonna regardless. Look, so you learn more about our tours and events. Visit and celebrate. We can have an event. We can have a tour. We could just do an hour long tour or, or, or something. Um, so anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to check this out. Uh, it was very, very cool. Louisville, very cool city, lots of great food. Um, uh, you know, just a, just a cool spot to, to hang out. I'm looking even more forward to going there, um, this summer as part of IAFP. Um, yeah. So that, okay. So that was a place that I had been now a place that I'm going, um, (laughs) that I, I need questions. I need you to answer some questions. I need you to tell me. So this weekend, I I will be going to um, uh, as they as they say one of your old stomping grounds. Mm. I'll be hanging out in Athens, Georgia, mm. f- for the weekend. Uh, we we are doing uh, as people do in Athens, Georgia. Um, we will be playing uh, youth hockey uh, on an outdoor arena in downtown Athens, uh, which which is blowing minds of all the people that I've talked to. Um, and, uh, and, and we're going to go hang out there with my, with my family. So give me, give me quick the, the top five places I need to go in, in Athens, Georgia. 
Well, I am not a good person to ask no, this no, question you, of. You because are. I, no, I am not because uh, I have not been there in a long time. Well, and I, I would say the, the better people to ask would be like uh, Wendy Wade White or even Michelle Daniluk. So I because all of the places that I remember are, are gone. Um, and so uh, although you should go to. Uh, I think Wuxtree is the, is the name of the record store uh, there you go. that was owned by one of the REM guys or one of the REM guys worked there. Um, but honestly, that's, you know, I mean, I could, I could tell you the, the place I used to live out on, uh, uh, Whitehall road. You could go look at that. That would be kind of interesting. I might go there on White, Whitehall road. What's your records? Um, <laughs> um, you should go visit the arches, right? The, uh, the, the UGA arches. Cause that's, uh, you know, iconic. Um, yeah. Um, what about the, other uh, than that, I, I don't really, I, you should go visit the food science building. The food science uh, building. Okay. Okay. Uh, go look at that. That's, that's cool. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I, you could go, well, you could go, uh, visit the, the convenience store where I used to work. That was, that was called save a step that has a different name now. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I. I really have no idea. Um, I like this. I, this I, is good. They, You're they, helping. It is. It's a. Athens is a really cool place, and there are a lot of uh, really cool places to eat. I have been back since then um, to to go out to eat at places that were not in existence when I was a student there, uh, low these thirty plus years ago. Um, so. Um, by all means, uh, you know, they have great, great food and it's a, it's a wonderful town and, and you'll enjoy yourself, but, but don't come to me for recommendations. I, I want 30 year old recommendations. Um, that was <laughs> recommendations of places that are no, not there anymore. Yeah. What about the, what about there, the, there was a, there's a place uh, called Chow Goldstein's that was uh, a Jewish Chinese food, um, that I think is gone. So Chow Goldstein's, yeah, it's not coming up. There's a yep. Chow Golden Retriever. Which That's is different. A, it's, it's a, a dog. dog. <laughs> it's a dog. Uh, what about? Um, did you? Uh, we we talked a little bit about REM, but what we about did. the uh, the Dressel Railroad uh, from the Murmur album? Should I go? Should we go there? Uh, if you could, if that if that exists and you can find it, yeah, go for it. I've never been there, but that sounds really cool. Yeah, it's it says on a really oh, Roadside America, which is a website that I think was built uh, in 1997. Uh, based on, uh, we'll, we'll link to this in show notes for everyone's benefit. Um, it, uh, it says that it's a short hike on a paved trail. Um, and, uh, the, uh, on October 2nd, 2000, the town of Athens voted to save the trestles and attraction for future generations. So we're going. All right. Well, if you ever come to Freehold, we can go visit the house uh, where Bruce Springsteen used to live on Institute street. <laughs> See, this is a, the, okay. We're doing this. I will come <laughs> I will come to this. The Murmur Trestle is also featured on BridgeHunter.com, which is a <laughs> which is a website of historic and notable bridges of the U.S. A website also built in 1998. Um, so, uh, all right, well, we'll be checking those things out. I see. I I knew that like you had not lived in Athens for a long time. It's kind of why I wanted to ask you. I want to know about all the places that didn't exist anymore. <laughs> exactly. So when I came back next week and we talked two weeks from now, I'd be like, Don, none of that stuff's there. You're, yeah. It's gone. <laughs> uh, anyway. I love the parts where we explain the jokes on the show. I, I know. It's like, that's the, it, it's fun. It's a bit, that was a bit. Um, all right. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk food safety. Talk. Talk. All right. Let's do it. So, um, so we've had, I mean, we, we always have some, uh, some feedback to uh, to talk about. I pulled a couple of things. 
um, from a few different spots. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to start with feedback. I'm going to start with um, uh, something that blew up on the internet uh, yesterday, uh, um, which is a clip of, maybe it's two days ago, uh, uh, this has been the most viewed, mo like if I look at my Twitter um, analytics, I, I've had the most uh, uh, feedback on something that I tweeted. And it was a, uh, uh, a two-minute clip of a guy on uh, Fox News. <laughs> I know right where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. who uh, um, who said uh, his, his name is uh, Pete Hegseth, and he admitted unprompted that he hasn't washed his hands in about 10 years, and then uh, went on to say uh, germs aren't a real thing. I can't see them. Therefore, they're not real. Uh, and this one's really like so. I I don't know if you ever look at your Twitter analytics, but I've I've had six thousand seven hundred impressions from this tweet, which is like the the most that I've had in in about two years um, on anything. So 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 yeah. as a public service to our listeners, because uh, I'm sure that I know how to do this, but how how would one if one wanted to check one's Twitter analytics, how would one do that? So so there's um, if you're using the Twitter app on your phone. Mm -hmm. there's underneath a tweet that you tweeted, there's like a list of things where you can see how many people liked it, um, how many retweets you had, the little comment uh, uh, button, you can share a tweet. And then over on the far right-hand side, there are three bars that look like a, like, like, a, like a bar chart. And if you click on that, it tells you your tweet activity. And I don't know if everybody has this, or if it is something because I set up Twitter ads to do um, to promote some tweets for stuff that we did a few years ago, um, and it's it, it's not all of my like not things that I retweet, but things that I that I tweet myself. Anytime I create something, I get these little bars so I can look at my my Twitter activity. Do you have that on yours? So, so uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm just finally getting this <laughs> app open. This, this is, this is almost as good as when we look stuff up on the internet and talk about it. Oh, we'll um, do that. In so, a so, all right. So I'm looking at my tweet about this and there's a, like, there's like a bar chart over yeah, yeah. on the right hand side. I'll click on that and it says tweet activity yep. and it says, uh, 3,418 impressions and 110 total engagements. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. And so what I, what I said in response to this moron is please come to my laboratory and drink a test tube of quote, things you can't see close quote. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I found my bell by the way. Oh, nice. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, you know, uh, hand washing, Ben, um, hand washing right? is good. People should wash their hands. Uh, use comfortable water with a comfortable temperature. It's probably better if you use soap. Um, don't wash your hands too much um, because uh, then your hands will get dried out. Um, but you should, you know, you know when you should definitely wash your hands when you have poop on them. Okay, like that's a really good time to wash your hands. That's that's when I wash my hands. Um, you know, I'm not like compulsive about hand washing and not not compulsive in the OCD mental illness sort of way but also it's like uh, you know I I mean I, I'm a guy who studies hand washing and people expect me and this is you know this is the expectation um, when I went on you know do Dubai Friday and stuff is that I'm gonna be like all judgy and preachy about hand washing and I'm not gonna do that right it's like you know I mean if this guy doesn't want to wash his hands, whatever. Uh, but but to make statements about germs, the things that he can't see, right. like that's just stupid, right? That's just absolutely 
he's a moron for that reason. But if he doesn't wash his hands as much as some other people, well, okay, whatever. I find it really hard to believe that he has never washed his hands. I mean, what does he, what I mean, does he, does he, does he do, do his hands ever get dirty? I mean, like, I, you know, when I wash my hands, Ben, is when they have dirt on them or when they have poop on them or when, or when I've been handling something that's gross and disgusting, right? I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm very anyway. That the, I, I, yeah. That's that's what I think about hand washing, Ben. I I, I, <laughs> I agree. I think you did a good job on 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 the hand washing. I I wonder how much that like I'm I'm happy to share this, um you know this tweet. I I re- retweeted um a guy uh, Aaron Ruper who is uh, a journalist at Vox, um, and I I don't like. I wonder how much of it was just like someone who's caught in the moment who's like, I never wash my hands. Hand washing is stupid. Um, and was like kind of a joke um, about it. I think the the next step of like germs are not a real thing is is like a, either doubling down on that joke or just, you know, being like, I don't, you know, I'm going to try and get a stir out of people. Um, so I, I don't know how much of it was like tongue in cheek or, or, or real. I'm happy to retweet it because I think it's hilarious. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, uh, I guess, you know, kind of predict predictably, um, there, there are a lot of comments on, on my tweet about, um, you know, Fox news and Fox news and science and, and stuff like that. And, um, and, and I mean that, I think that's, I think that's warranted. Um, but, but it was maybe less, it was less about, um, the source and, and more about the comment. Um, yeah. Um so I I gave um I gave a talk yesterday to a group of um I think retired individuals or uh seniors above the age of 65 who are part of a program at NC State where you can go to like you can get um degree credits for classes uh but also you can do non-degree like lectures and they bring in um, you know, professors, researchers from from across NC State, and one of the responses to the to my tweet on this had to do with like eating undercooked hamburger, and um, so I had a, as my talk really yesterday was just like, I guess, kind of demystifying food safety and and what food safety means to me, and and some myths and um, uh, about food safety or or you know, ba- basically the talk was it, it depends and it's complicated. Um, but one of the <laughs> one of the individuals who attended my my talk um, asked you know asked a question about raw, you know ground beef and under eating undercooked hamburgers, and um, wanted to know like it, the, the you know the science like why is it that you can get an undercooked hamburger in North Carolina and ten years ago you couldn't because it was like uh, against the the food code rules um, against the law um, and what is it about ground beef that makes it so problematic and you know, compared to uh, whole muscle stuff that we talked that we've talked about a bunch. And so we spent maybe eight minutes kind of talking about contamination during the processing um, uh, you know processing steps. And outside of that, that meat getting ground up and outside becoming the inside and um, talking about temperatures and what it does to bacteria, like really like in depth on it. And, and I, it, it, the 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 thing that reminds me about um, 
some of the limitations of what you and I do and and people and and it you know it has to do with this this hand washing um, question as well as the, the the person who was really interested in this like listened to all of this understood it was like oh I totally get it and and was also at the end like but I'm still gonna eat you know, like really really rare hamburgers because I like them and and I was like yeah absolutely because. This is all about a risk benefit trade off. Like I, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you don't eat raw ground beef. My, I'm here to tell you that you, as an elderly individual, at are, are much higher risk for foodborne illness. Lots of um, issues uh, related to, to that. But we all, we all make our own risk choices and we all or risk decisions. We all do what we want to do. And if, and if the trade off for you is. I'm going to, I'm going to eat this, even though I have a pretty good understanding of the risk. And I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say don't, don't do it. And the, the thing that I wanted to ask you about is, do you ever get the sense that people are, you know, in these situations asking you to either like, they're, they're trying to like challenge you. They want you to say, no, don't eat that. Um, or they want on the other side validation that whatever it is that their choice is, is is a good choice that you would make and how do you how do you handle that stuff because I, I like what what do you do yeah so so totally first of all totally 100% exactly right like that's that's often why people i think are asking these questions um and and you know we've We've made it a thing on this podcast, and it's not just a thing. I think we we both genuinely believe this. I mean, you remember who are the two guys that proposed proposed a, a, a Amsterdam for raw milk, right? Like, right. We're, neither of us are going to go out and drink raw milk, but guess what? Um, if you want to drink raw milk, go ahead. My job as an extension professional and as a, a, a guy who understands risk or likes to pretend that he understands risk anyway is to let to help you think about it in in maybe a way that you hadn't thought about it before, and maybe. Maybe in a way that's going to help you manage that risk. And and for sure, I get these questions around hand washing. I was all over, you know, when, when I was talking about our research on the five second rule, you know, often people would reporters would ask, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, it depends. And it's complicated. Let me sh- let me share with you some of the depends and let me share with you some of the complications. Right. About, about exactly if you really want to approach this in, in, a, in a, a kind of a rational, structured way, here are the things that I, I think about when I make a decision about whether I'm going to eat something off the floor. Number one, what's the nature of the floor? What do I know about it? No, uh, number two, what's the nature of the food? Right. Is is it is it a moist food versus a dry food? Um you know, and 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 you know, of course, I would weigh into that my own uh, immune immune status, and then honestly, you know, what's the value of the item? Is is it a delicious chocolate chip, or is it some, you know, crusty piece of uh, bread that probably wasn't very good anyway, right? I mean, so you know, I mean, th- those are the things that go into my decisions about what to do, and I very much resist trying to tell people what to do, and 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 it wasn't. I think it really. I would say a lot of that. <clears throat> realization. Well, it came from doing news media and talking to people, but a lot of it comes from doing this podcast and thinking and getting questions from people and thinking about it. Right. It's like, I don't, I look, I'm not, I'm not responsible for your food safety. Right. Like, right. If, or, I mean, obviously, unless, unless I am, unless you, unless you've hired <laughs> me, unless you've hired me, um, to, to assess the, a process deviation or something. Right. But, but for the most part, you know, if I'm talking on the news media, you do what you want. I'm here to tell you about the science, right? And then you, and then inform you so you can make you can make a decision. Yeah, well, I, you know, absolutely, and I, and I think that one of the things that that I've really 
benefited from on doing this podcast on, on my side is is better understanding risk and calculation of risk and and comparisons and um, and this came up yesterday in, the, in this in this conversation too and, and we're, I also want to link to something that that we have in in our show notes um, an article by um, uh, Fur and Fork from Twitter and uh, his name's Austin. Uh, uh, Balk, Bach. I, I think we mispronounced his name. Um, I think it's once. Book. It rhymes Book. with Took. <laughs> Book, Took, Book, Took. Um, and it, it just a really like so. So the question that that came up um, in this discussion was like about how much chicken is contaminated with a pathogen, and how much how many eggs are contaminated with with a pathogen and and why are those two things different and should i treat things differently because uh they're they're different risks and um and and so we you know step through some of that the, those estimations of just you know a, a much higher percentage likelihood of um, being exposed, if you're going to eat raw chicken, you're going to more likely to get exposed to um, to you know Salmonella or, or Campylobacter than if you're going to eat a raw egg. And raw chicken's gross, and raw eggs are um, also kind of gross. But I see where raw eggs are used in lots of foods that make them less gross. Um, well, and guess what? I had an egg for breakfast this morning, and the yolk was a little runny. So that wasn't a raw egg, but right. but that wasn't as risk free as if the yolk had been firm, right? So yeah, well, there it, you go. Exactly, and and that um, j- just the recognition from a from a person um, who is not thinking about this every day like we are on trying to make that risk benefit calculation and their historical anecdote of you know eating the same thing multiple times and and not getting sick um not not really like um equating to well what happens the next time or this time that I eat it right like those the, those things are independent um uh, of each other and and so I want to I just want to highlight something that 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 Austin wrote in this in this article that I thought was really um really cool on risk following volume and um so he he kind of put together um, this this idea of a high fo- high volume food company making a mistake and and so he kind of picked um, a one in ten thousand times there's a mistake. Well, if it's a small uh, food company based on the number of meals that, that and this is coming straight from from his article number of meals we make if we screw up only one in ten thousand times we make so much food that someone gets sick every other day from 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 this food. But one in ten thousand might be a really, really low risk for something that we do at home, um, and and I would he, he used the example of washing dishes that don't sanitize or lack sand washing, and I would look at like consuming a raw egg, right? Like I've got to eat a lot of a, a lot of eggs. Um, I have to. I still I have that same chance every day of one in, in ten thousand. Um, but I'm not. I'm not doing quite the same volume of uh, of eggs that that I would be if I was producing millions of eggs a day, like like some of our egg, egg producers. So it's the same. It's like the same action and the same risk reduction on the individual, but the volume of it, um, you know, changes um, what the what, what the risk to the either the bi- the business or the or, or the individual is. And I, I just thought it was a really like I enjoyed that. I thought it was a good article. It's one that I'm going to share with people about. Um, about risk because I think he does a really good job like distilling it down into, into like 700 words or whatever. 
Yeah, so we we will we will definitely uh, link uh, we will definitely link to that article, which was was really good, and it's it's an older it's not not that old it's from 2018, but <clears throat> he did uh, send it to us um, in basically in response to something we were talking about um, on on uh, on the podcast, and I you know and and I think yeah, and let me just sort of reemphasize that um, uh, or or talk about that a little bit further, and so um, I think that what I what I think about is I think about like risk per serving or annual risk. And there's a great example of this in the FDA, uh, USDA um, um, risk ranking for listeria among select categories of ready-to-eat foods. This came out quite some time ago. It came out in 2003. But basically what they did in this uh, particular risk assessment or risk ranking is they, they did a, like a side-by-side comparison of different foods. And 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 it's and so we'll we'll link to the executive summary and it and they have a relative risk ranking of foods but they rank them in two ways they rank it on a risk per serving basis and they rank it on a risk per annum basis and and so on a per serving basis it says okay um well and the good news is, is that deli meats or bad news depending on your point of view uh, deli meats come out on the top of both of those lists but on the per annum basis pasteurized fluid milk comes out as number two. Why? Not because servings of pasteurized fluid milk are that risky, but we drink a whole lot of of pasteurized fluid milk, right? Um, and, and unpasteurized fluid milk shows up much higher on the per serving basis, but way lower on the per annum basis just because of that. So, so anyway, so that's, so that's, that's the, I think about that in, in that, in that same way. And, 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 and thanks to Austin for sharing that. The other thing that occurred to me, I actually have a little bit of a, like a laboratory here. I make, um, mo- many days when I, when I, when I'm working from home, um, Many days I will uh, have a a fried egg, um, and very and I'm not like you know super like careful about how I cook it. I cook it until it's you know it's more or less done you know or done enough. Um, I could what I could start doing, and it wouldn't be that hard, is just to take a temperature of the yolk of that every morning, and just to get a sense of like what's the how does that temperature? And I realize it's not it's not perfect, and I'm not doing an integrated lethality calculation, but you know that might be just an interesting opportunity during my day when I could collect some data. Um, I don't know. I just 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 putting that out there as something like fun. I mean, if you if, if, you know, again, this just shows you. Uh, what what we are like and the people who listen to this podcast that yeah I'm gonna take the temperature of my egg every morning because that sounds like something that would be fun but anyway I'm gonna do it so I'm not, you are you're gonna stop you, judging me no I, I like this this is this is good I'm glad you're gonna do this um, and uh, this is this is the you know uh, one of the things that we talked about in um, uh, uh, an episode of a while ago which is uh, you know share these everyday food safety stories with us because this is you're you're doing some uh, some real real live uh, experimentation right in your home mm-hmm um. All right. So we got we have some feedback. I want to we'll we'll get to we'll get to that. I want I want to ask you I want to ask you something though first because are you Max are you Max Tempkinning me? I'm I am. Well, just Don. Just one more thing. Just, just one, one more thing. Just one more thing. I really want to get to that. Don, what are what would you say are, you, are the top ten things as a food safety expert you you won't you won't eat the top ten? You got to come up with ten. Uh, well, I, I, I really like, uh, I really like Bats's list, which I think is on his Twitter profile. Um, and the first one is poop. Don't eat poop. Don't eat poop. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, I, 
I, I really, I really don't like these top 10 lists, which is, I think why you are mentioning this it to is. me. Um, this, uh, this came to us from a friend of a friend in real life and friend of the podcast, uh, Michelle Danilock. Uh, it's a, it's an article from the food network entitled the top 10 things that food safety experts won't eat. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to answer your question, Ben, because I think it's a <laughs> stupid question, but, um, but let, but let's, let's talk about the article and what I'm going to do. I will move down the article and I will, oh, Oh, Jesus. Um, oh, do I have to click through? Do oh, I really yeah. You, you got to click oh, through. Jesus. It's a pain in the ass. Oh, this is miserable. Um, this looked better on my phone, and I think. Me I don't, too. I don't remember that I had to click you, through this. You didn't. You just scrolled on your phone, and then oh, I, I'm doing – I ran into the same thing. Food Network, people hate clicking, just so you know. All right. Every, well – all right. So, so, all right. So, well, thank goodness. I guess, I guess what I did was I generated the PDF from my phone. And so I'm just going to look at the PDF and not look at the article. Uh, anyway, don't look at the article on the, uh, on your computer, look at it on your phone because otherwise they'll make you click. Um, so, uh, buffets. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I, I appreciate the buffets are risky. We've talked about this before. Um, I'm more interested in like what's on the, the tongs of the buffet handles. Right. Yes. And I guess not, not in a compulsive way, but ever since the people from the, um, the cruise industry shared with me that they don't let the customers of the cruise ships handle the tongs on the self-serve buffet for the first few weeks, first few days until they're done, um, shedding, you know, have, experiencing symptoms. Um, I, I think about that again, don't, don't, don't necessarily do anything differently because of that. Um, sliced lemons. Um, yeah, I'm not worried about sliced lemons. And again, we've talked about on the podcast, there was an article about uh, finding microorganisms on sliced lemons, including lots of things that have very scary sounding names and some that probably are even quote unquote fecal coliforms. Don't even get me started on fecal coliforms. Um, uh, sliced lemons, I don't worry about them. And I, I want to. Uh, so you're, yeah, you're, you're you're looking at this from uh, from the PDF, and I want to I want to add okay. some of the because I don't think in your PDF it has the the wording. And I want no, to, I'm, just, I'm just reacting to the pictures. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just a, this is a picture. But I want to read something about this because I want mm. – so this is from um, uh, MSRD uh, nutrition expert and dietitian Toby Amador and who is also author of uh, The Greek Yogurt Kitchen. Um, and Tony, Tony, Toby says, many bars and restaurants serve a wedge of lemon or lime on the side of sodas, water, or beer. Um, I always ask for mine without it or pull it off right away. Cool, because, I mean, maybe you don't want lemon. Um, I do not know who handled the lemon and if they washed their hands properly before slicing it. True. With the same kind of thought, um, and let's just substitute the word lemon with glass or plate. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Or exactly. fork. Right, exactly. like I don't, I don't know who handled any of those things, and sure they could have put a pathogen uh, exactly on the on the rim of that of that uh, glass where I put it directly into my mouth. Uh, right, so yep. it's, it's exactly. It's a, I tell you one thing that does that does gross me out a little bit, um, and I've seen this happen at. Um, uh, Starbucks, I think, but, uh, oh, and other places. Oh, you know what, where it happens, it happens at fast food places where they hand you the cup that is going, that yeah. you are going to take to the soda dispenser. They put their fingers inside the cup, Ben. They sure that, do. That's they gross. And I, I try to not, and I know the risk is I'm a guy that studies risk. I'm a guy that studies hand washing, but I just gross. Don't put your fingers in my cup. Right. <laughs> Keep your fingers out of my cup. Keep your fingers out of my cup. Um, anyway, yes. So, 
Um, raw sprouts, uh, whatever. Yeah, I don't like them. I don't eat them. Uh, undercooked ground meat, don't like it, don't eat it. Uh, raw oysters, don't like it, don't eat it. Food from bulk bins. <laughs> bulk, bulk bins. bins. <laughs> bulk bins. Bulk bins. <laughs> bulk bins. Bulk bins. <laughs> All right. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, uh, we are riffing on a line from a podcast uh, that um, is not this one uh, where uh, they talk funny. So, um, yeah. So, so uh, take a look. Uh, go listen to Back to Work. Uh, great podcast. Um, uh, this okay. I, yeah, so, I, I need to add some to this one because. Yeah, so it, go ahead. The reason. Let me because you're you're only you're only looking I, at the picture. I'm, book. I'm, you've got me, Ben. I'm I'm looking at the the goddamn abomination of a website. So, but go ahead. <laughs> Uh, since I need to avoid gluten, Don, I, it doesn't say Don. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat food from bulk bins at supermarkets because you know if you're looking they're, for gluten, they're just, they're just throwing gluten in there, Ben. They're just gluten. throwing, they're throwing around the whole supermarket. They're getting in the bulk bins. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyone with celiac disease, gluten sensitivity, or and this is a pretty generic statement, a serious food allergy should do the same. Due to the possibility of cross-contact, because the food's not packaged and tongs are often shared between bins. Gluten. Just don't get me started on the on the gluten in the bulk. I, I have shared that that I started my my food safety career and food career in a bulk food store, in a bulk bin store. <laughs> have you uh, shared that? I did not know that. Oh I, yeah, but I think I mentioned this a while ago. So oh. so I as a as a teenager, I had what what I believed um still to this day. And I'm speaking from you, speaking to you from a pretty good job. Uh, my the best job of all time. Uh, I didn't. I, I clearly did not make a lot of money. Um, a little over minimum wage. I worked uh, two hours after school every night um, in between like three and five or three thirty and five thirty or whatever it was. Um, uh, restocking uh, bins at the bulk, bulk bins uh, at the bulk food store, Suntree Bulk Foods in Port Hope, Ontario. And uh, I love the job because I um, I could. I really ate a lot of things there. Like, uh, <laughs> Wait, you're eating on the clock. I was eating on the Stealing, clock, taking food out I, of your the, the hands, the manager, the hands that feed you there. I mean, you know, it could have been. There was a few times. It wasn't like I ate like uh, it wasn't a meal, but I might I might take a couple of gummy bears here or there. Um, might take some misty mints uh, and just just eat them. Uh, we also got a really good discount, so sometimes I paid for them, and sometimes I sometimes I didn't. didn't. Um, and uh, also, and this this is probably much much more egregious. Um, spent uh, Saturdays there, and if it was really hot um, uh, outside, I would spend my time in the cold storage, uh, you know, refrigerated walk-in area of uh of the bulk bulk bin store and uh i would sometimes have a nap uh on top of uh uh 50 pound uh, bags of flour um and and it was great i loved i loved that job so uh that's, that's <laughs> for because i got gummy bears and naps nice nice <laughs> uh all right food from bulk bins um, sushi. Yeah. You know, I, I prefer the cooked sushi rather than the, the raw sushi kind. Um, so yeah, there's a risk. Um, yeah, I don't, 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 don't eat that back scraped tuna sushi, but yeah. whatever. Oh, this one comes uh, from, ahead. yeah, this, I mean, this one comes from, uh, someone who has more letters after their name than I've ever seen. Um, and so this, I'll read the quote. I see no reason to consume un, uncooked fish proteins. Well seasoned and gently cooked, sautéed and steamed fish is nutritionally rich and food safe. 
a term that I don't really like. Um, mm-hmm. The goal for this safe goal for safe food consumption is to reduce and, when possible, eliminate any risk of foodborne illness. Don, we know we can't eliminate risk; we can only reduce it. Um, so when foods, when folks brag to me about eating sushi, I compare it to someone boasting about going through the red light. Sometimes nothing happens, but other times illness follows. And I've never, never once gotten sick from going through a red light. Um, but this is well, for- and, I, and let's and let's just say like. <laughs> This podcast, we do not endorse running red lights. No. Nope. Okay. But if you want to eat sushi, we're not going to endorse that, but we're not going to shame you either. Just do what you want. Um, you know, if you like sushi, eat sushi. Realize it's uh, riskier. It's riskier when you when you uh, you don't cook it. But That's, Jesus. Yep. yep. Well, and and the, exactly. Um, this one's from John A. Krakowski. Um, and and get ready for these. He's M A R D N. Uh, CDN, F-A-N-D, uh, food safety coach and trainer in uh, Flanders, New York. So uh, yeah, I think CDN is for Canadian. Um, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know what F-A-N-D is. Uh, no. But he's got the he's got all of them, all those letters, all the best yes, letters. BSMS, but, PhD, buddy. Yeah. Right doc, there. Doctor, doctor, professor. <sighs> Uh, oh, uh, uh, raw milk. Here's a comment from uh, ah. my friend and colleague uh, Jen Quinlan, who's uh, done some work on splashing uh, Campylobacter around your chicken when you are around your sink when you wash uh, your chicken. Uh, she's a food microbiologist and professor at Drexel, and uh, she's not in favor of raw milk. So there you go. Um, and I, and I want to say, you know, they, they actually have the italic font because they use it uh, several places, but they do, they do not italicize Listeria Salmonella E. coli or Campylobacter. So, so shame on you, uh, Food Network, for improper italicization. Yep, but they do italicize Jen Quinlan. Yes. <laughs> and I think they've also italicized the word because. Well, that's nice. If I'm just reading to, that correctly. Just to emphasize it. Just for emphasis. 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 Um, yeah, because, uh, packaged lunch meats also on the I, list. Yeah, whatever. I, yeah, if you're pregnant, you shouldn't eat packaged uh, deli meats, but otherwise, I mean, who, I understand the recommendation to heat your meat. Oh, uh, heat your, heat <laughs> your <laughs> meat. So, title, title, phrasing. Um, uh, I heat your meat to a steaming, wait, wait, heat your meat to steaming. Until it's piping hot? Is that what they mean? Yeah, piping, piping, um, piper hot. Um, <laughs> piper hot. Um, uh, uh, or 165 degrees Fahrenheit. I, yeah, I, do you know anybody that actually does that? I, I mean, again, so, I appreciate that pregnant women are at risk of listeriosis and they shouldn't consume deli meats perhaps because of that reason, but I don't know. This guy right here who you're talking to did it with, uh, for, uh, for about 14 months. Um, okay. I, you have seven, seven months of pregnancies, uh, two pregnancies, mm. not, not my pregnancies. Uh, I was going to say, but Ben, like we want to be very clear that, that your wife was the one who carried and gave birth to the children, and, and, but you, but you, you hated the deli meats, uh, in sympathy or in, uh, as the food preparer, as the fruit food preparer, as the, um, as the, uh, fully irrational, neurotic, uh, um, uh, and supportive, um, I guess not husband in the first one, but husband in the second one. That's another story. Um, but as the as the spouse, what? 
Yeah. You, what? You don't know my your like, your son is a bastard. Yeah. Yeah. One of them is. We. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. So we. So this is the, <laughs> this is the, the, for those of you who are keeping track. This is the same son who apparently um, doesn't have good visibility for automobiles. Right. Uh, he, he was the one we talked about on the, on a recent show um, who walked into the house without uh, and said, "Oh, I thought you guys were not here. Your cars are gone." Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's not gone. That is the same. That is the same one. Um, uh, yeah. So so. Uh, we, uh, um, or as, as you and your wife like to call him, the smart one. The smart one, yeah, the smart one. He was uh, born born out of wedlock, or or whatever the 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 non problematic term is. Bastard, bastard is the correct yeah. is the correct term for that man. Yeah. So he. Uh, so we 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 did not. Uh, we never really planned on getting married. Um, had uh, all, you know lots of lots of plans to have uh, have kids, and then um, when we uh, started to move to the U.S. Uh, it became apparent that in our state of North Carolina, it would be very difficult for um, uh, an unmarried spouse to have health insurance. Um, ah, okay. So, uh, so we went and got married very quickly. Um, the The story goes like this: um, We had a conversation with uh, some uh, HR folks here at NC State before we were moving. Uh, Danny was about like seven and a half or eight months pregnant with Jack. Um, we, oh, so you almost had two bastards. No, no, it was, oh, oh. no, Jack, the, oh. yeah, he's the older one. Sorry, yep. sorry. I, no, I, I, right. get, I, I get Look, them confused. I, I get them confused too. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> um, and <laughs> Jack's not the one with the mullet. <laughs> no, no mullet, no mullet. Um, so he, uh, uh yeah, so we, we came, uh, back. So we, we were visiting, looking for, uh, housing in Raleigh. Um, and, uh, then, uh, we're, went back to Canada and, uh, this, we learned this information about health insurance on a Friday on, uh, Monday, we went to city hall and got a marriage certificate. And on the following Friday, we were married at the, uh, evergreen senior center at, uh, in Guelph, Ontario by a, uh, justice of the peace. Um, and it was, was he, was he, was he living at the senior center? <laughs> he was, I, it's unclear. I just, the senior center was the, uh, uh city hall was going under renovation and, uh, this evergreen <laughs> senior center is where they're holding the, oh. uh, b- uh, bastard ceremonies. Uh, oh, all right. So let, let's be completely fair to Jack. Uh, he was not a bastard because he was conceived out of wedlock, but he was not born out of wedlock. Correct. Correct. I think the text makes him not a bastard. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> So during, so so during the uh, package lunch meets uh, portion of my of, of our wedding, um, uh, we I, I heated a lot of them up because I wouldn't. Uh, Danny was at at times during her pregnancy was really into um, like Subway. She really wanted um, you know subs, and I said no problem. I will just heat all of this up for you. And she said I think you're uh, being irrational. And I said I you're you're probably right. Uh, but, uh, and we've talked about this, this is, this comes back to, um, the, let, I don't want to tell people how to handle their food. I don't want to make risk decisions for them. The, the, the risk, uh, and the consequence of, of, of a listeriosis, um, illness in a, with a pregnant woman is, is pretty high. It can be very high, right? Like we're, we're talking about losing the fetus and, and uh, risk oh, yeah. to the, to the, to the mother. So it was like, you know what? The consequence is just too, way too high. I don't, I mean, I'm, I may be. Um, trying to reduce the risk minusculely, uh, but this is something that we can do, and it'll make me sleep better. And um, you know, I, let's let's go do it. And, and Danny humored me. 
Yeah. And, well, and 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 yeah. I mean, and that's exactly the the calculations that you that one would make in in those uh, in those circumstances. And um, I guess if it was, I mean, I so in the way you tell it, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I guess I, what I would say is if if that was a risk to my life, I would just find a way to not have deli meats. Right. Um, but given that said this was something that she was craving and that she was your your partner, uh, you and you wanted to make her make her safe. I think that's a that that was that's it was a very nice and and noble and gentlemanly thing to do. Yeah, and and also a little bit self-serving because um a um the selfish gene um from uh, <laughs> half, uh, half your kid half yeah. your genetics in that kid right you right um but also i i, I would be I, I really did have trouble like I, I I get naturally nervous about lots of stuff anyway, and mm. so this was a way for me to ma- manage that right. Like there, I was something out of yeah. control. So and and her and her as well. She's important. Right. Uh. And then the last thing on this top ten list, uh, number eleven, uh, or or I guess whatever the last one. Um, it's eleven of eleven uh, pages. So eleven page views. Food Network. Congratulations. Um, uh, potlucks. Um, did little Johnny with norovirus help grandma to make the cookies? Thanks for the invitation, but I'll pass, says Ellen Steinberg, PhD, RDLD, food safety specialist and president of the Georgia Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Yep, there, there we go. Lots of lots of letters. I, do, so, you, do you, what do you, how do you feel about potluck? I, I, I'm, uh, I think about food safety when I'm at a potluck, yeah. but I don't really change what I do, I don't think. I, I don't, I don't either. And, and this is like, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just trying to be nice and, and I look at what are the types of foods, um, that are there. I mean, for the most part, and, and this may just be the people that I would go to potlucks with, um, we're not bringing foods for the, for the most part that temperature control would be, uh, so much of an issue. Um, and, um, so, so I think just the, it's a, it, for, in my experience and how I, um, the ones I go to, it, it, you know, they're low risk foods. We'd, I'd be concerned about hygiene, but I'm also concerned about hygiene with, um, little, little Johnny making the cookies. Cause that same little Johnny is, is touching all the doorknobs in the house that I'm in. Um, and, and, and yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I think about it, but I probably don't alter my behavior so much. Well, and let's let's talk about uh, potlucks, right? There was a huge, uh, huge outbreak at, at a uh, church potluck uh, where one person died uh, and probably from Clostridium perfringens uh, from um, uh, foods that were served at a church potluck that were, you know, and probably there was one one turkey that was just improperly uh, improperly cooled and, and made some people sick. Uh, and that, that happened in, uh, New Brunswick, uh, which is not the one in New Jersey, but that's the one in Canada, I think. Right, right, right. Yep. Um, and we, we had an outbreak, uh, at a, a big, uh, church dinner, um, function potluck thing here in North Carolina with Turkey not so long ago. Um, and then there was a outbreak of, uh, Clostridium botulinum linked to, uh, potato salad and the potatoes have been improperly, um, canned, you know, uh, boiling water bathed as, as, as opposed to, um, pressure canned in, in that, that outbreak was in Ohio a couple of years ago. So, I mean, there's, there are definitely things that, that can, that, that can go wrong. Um, I, I just don't like, I'm, potlucks just aren't a thing that I get exposed to too much. And I would like, I'll tell you where I, where I would have trouble is if there was like a potluck, um, it like or a holiday party, in my, you know, in my building, in my office, not that anybody here is particularly, um, you know, bad at food safety, but it's, those are, there are people that I know less about their food handling and food 
food safety practices where the friends that I hang out with, we're, you know, often going to each other's houses for, for dinner and they are already making jokes about me bringing a thermometer. So they're already hopefully on heightened awareness, um, around, around food safety, but it's, it's different when, when you go to like, uh, you know, 400 people are coming and so one person brought a, brought one dish, a place where I don't, uh, let me, but I will give you an example of where I don't eat potluck stuff. And this is at my kids' school. They always have friendship breakfasts. Um, and I, they have one coming up on Friday. And people bring, like, the craziest stuff. Like, we, like someone will show up with a bowl of, of scrambled eggs that they cooked, like, four hours before. Um, Ew. Yeah, yeah. And so there's – I mean, it's cold eggs, first Ew. of all. Yeah. Um, but also I just don't – like, that's a different situation. Now we're Now we're looking at a whole bunch of different people. And – um, transported, but, but I don't, I mean, so I, I will avoid, you know, a situation like that. I'm eating like croissants and, and, a you know, and a tangerine or, right. or something. Um, right. so yeah. Anyway, good. Thank you, Michelle. Um, uh, who, who also shared with us that I don't, I think this was in our, our text, our writing buddies text, but someone came up to her at a talk recently and said, oh, my God, I just met Michelle Danilug, who I know she's famous from Food Safety Talk. Um, and that was so. So anyway, thanks for Michelle for sharing this article with us, giving us some content to talk about, but also for sharing that story that you became famous um, because of uh, Food Safety Talk for one person. Um, all right. So, so let's, so let's yeah. do some uh, listener feedback. You ready? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go. All right, so we'll do that. We don't have too much this week, so that's kind of nice. Um, so, oh, and so this is from um, Deep New England, who I got to see at my. I don't want to do compromise or opsec, but I mean, she is from New England, and she was at the Northeast um, um, uh, Kneecaps meeting. Uh, so there you go. Um, so, uh, so in podcast 174, Ben mentioned the unsuitability of chlorine-based sanitizers for wood co- wood food contact surfaces because of the interaction between the chlorine and the organic compounds found in the wood. This is a conundrum for farmers and others with wood food contact surfaces, uh, cutting boards, produce baskets, and tables. Um, would you share the citations? Is the interaction such that makes the chlorine sanitizer completely ineffective? Um, uh, uh, she has many questions. Would boosting yeah. the concentration remedy this? How significant is the difference between chlorine and quats or other sanitizing treatment on woods? Um, and she's, she's got a bunch of links here, which we will uh, link to as well. Yeah, so I'm going to um, answer this one in a in a really quick way where I'm going to share I'll, I'll, I'll share a bunch of stuff in show notes um, on this. There are some papers out there, and I have to dig back into my um, my um, uh, Mendeley to to grab some of this stuff. Okay, um, but so um, the 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 one thing that I do want to like highlight from uh, Deep New England's. Uh, message is this is the 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 phrase of this is a conundrum for farmers and others with wood food contact surfaces they use such as cutting boards produce baskets and tables and and I would add this is also a conundrum for farmers in in larger packing facilities um, and this is where where I really started getting involved in the quaternary ammonia versus chlorine sanitizer versus hydrogen peroxide or uh, electrolyzed water whatever it is um, trying to reduce the impact of, of organic matter on, on sanitizers because there are a lot of um, uh, packing lines or there, ha- there has been historically a lot of packing lines that have like wood affixed to them in lots of places or sponges or things that are just really, really hard to clean and sanitize. 
Um, and, and and so um, we'll we'll link to this stuff. But Quat and I'll I'll uh, follow up by by email with Deep New England with the with the papers. But Quat um, does not get bound up in the same way that the free chlorine does. And I'll I'll search out some of those um, uh, some of those references so you can can see them. Um, but it's, I mean, this is an issue, not just with farmers, but with lots of folks. Um, and, and it came up in, uh, I, we, you and I talked about this a long time ago. We'll have to find this, um, in, in back in the archives. This might be before even our, our, our iTunes archiving, um, started. Uh, so it'll be on the, on the website, but we, this, uh, there were, um, there were some concerns about using, uh, wooden, um, uh, shelving in cheese production in New York state a while ago. Um, yes. and so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about sort of the best practices that, that came up, um, in that, uh, in, in that discussion. Um, so wood, wood is just becomes, uh, it can be a little bit problematic from a sanitizing standpoint. There are ways to, to reduce risk, um, with it though. Good. Yeah. So, so thanks. Thanks for that. And thanks for the question. So, and there are, yeah, if you go to our search page, uh, there's a lot of, uh, and you type, uh, wood, uh, you'll find, uh, we've talked about wood, um, somewhere in a variety of our episodes. And so, uh, uh thanks for that. Um, uh, just to take a, a quick, uh, digression from, um, listener feedback. Uh, and this is something that came our way via a friend of the podcast, uh, Jess Chen, um, who, uh, who linked to, uh, something, uh, on on Twitter and then and then uh, at replied us. Um, Goop is going to expand its original content with a new Netflix docu series. Ben, are you are you all in on Goop? Oh, I'm I'm always all in on Goop. Um, yeah, I this so I've seen a little bit of like coverage on this. So um, I I haven't watched um, the the Tim Caulfield um, documentary. We didn't we didn't talk about that last time, did we? I talked about it with somebody. Not with me. Yep. Okay. So Tim Caulfield's a um, a, uh, a Canadian uh, researcher um, who uh, looks at um, like science and wrote wrote a book like everything that Gwyneth Paltrow says is wrong or is Gwyneth Paltrow wrong about everything. Um, anyway, so he has this Netflix show that I haven't watched that sounds really good. That's on my list, yeah. um, and it's called a User's Guide to Cheating Death. Um, and, but, um, I, I guess the like response to that is that, that goop is sort of putting together, um, Netflix, uh, content and, um, it, I, 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 I'm, I'm actually, and I, I would not want to censor goop's ability to put this out there. What I, w- what I hope happens is that there are lots of people that critically look at the material, um, afterwards and, um, and discuss it and write blog posts about it and tweet about it, uh, things that are not science-based, but I would, I, I, I've seen some stuff on, on social media that's basically said Netflix really shouldn't do this. I don't, I don't feel like it's Netflix's job to censor it. I think it's our, our job in the science and public health world to, to combat it and, and, uh, raise concerns when we see it. Well, yeah, and but I think it's it's tricky, right? Because is it is it? I mean, if you if you are somebody that has a lot of money and you just want to make an infomercial to help you sell stuff, I don't think that's right either. Yeah, 
I see. I, I mean, I, I, I see what you're. I mean, I, I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, I think we can both agree that we're not. Neither of us is in favor of censorship, but. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is this is one of the you know. I mean, should Infowars exi- Infowars exist? I suppose it should, but it's horrible. Right, right. right. Well, and and there's, I mean, there you um, there's a there's a whole thing with uh, tidying up with Marie Kondo and Spark and Joy, which is mm. right, right. It's a, it's a similar mm. kind of kind of situation that um, there is. Uh, you, we you've got this this season that uh, of uh, of a show that that is. Uh, episodic but but there's also the you know, more you scratch the surface there's like um a whole um you know uh, be a certified marie condoite um, well and they yeah they talked about this on on dubai friday yeah. right like there's a whole business of people that are basically selling these joy sparking consulting services which is a, just a total scam right but right. on the other hand you know if they're taking if, if these are rich people taking money from other rich people you know, whatever, right? I mean, <laughs> go for it. I guess if if that's if that's what you're what you want to do, right? I mean, well, I, yeah, yeah. And and I think what 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 we really have to like where where we really need to push stuff is not to keep it keep it off you know off the air, but it's all of us doing a good job on on being critical of the stuff that we watch and read and see, and and whether like I mean this this goes into the you know Russian bot stuff and and memes that are that are shared on social media for political reasons and and even in the the food safety side of things that um, the, uh, I can't remember it was a Wall Street Journal article from a, a, a year or so ago that was talking about um, looking at uh, Russian bot um, messages about Thanksgiving uh, outbreak or recalls of turkeys on Thanksgiving that weren't happening and uh, it. it it, all of it, whether it's on Netflix or um, the, you know, in, in a in a journalist site, there's there are biases to all of these things, and we just have to be good at um, at at checking the checking the references and um, and being um, being critical and and a little bit cynical of it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we it's it's fun to talk about fake news, right? Um, but but it's but it's a serious business, right? And yeah. there are credible news sites, and there are less credible news sites, and you know, services like uh, Snopes perform a useful service, but then there's people that complain that Snopes is biased. So I mean, the the brave new world of the internet is that you know you just can't believe stuff just because it's out there on the internet. You really have to do your due diligence and your research and and check your facts. So yeah, and look at you know multiple multiple sources and. I every once so actually I, I had a little pause going back to the that tweet the Fox News re, uh, retweet of the germs from uh, Pete uh, Hegseth. Um, I, I after I retweeted that I actually had a pause because I'm like I don't know if this Pete Hegseth guy is even on Fox News. Like it might have just been someone I follow was retweeting this, and it was and I was retweeting fake news, right? Like like it could have been. A constructed meme that was that was against you know some some you know terrible journalist uh, you know side of things and and so then I went after I retweeted it I went and like looked it up and I was like oh wait a second did this actually happen is it on Fox News what you know where where else can I kind of verify this and so I I'm I, I, I that kind of stuff is like stuff that I that I think about that we probably never really used to think about in the same way. Yeah, and and good for you for doing it. I just basically uh, watched the video that convinced me, um, and then uh, I tweeted about it. But yeah, I mean, and the whole—I mean, we 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 don't 
we shouldn't get into Covington Catholic, but you know, there's a whole big thing that happened a couple of weeks ago with the video and then, well, but yeah, but you have to look at this other video that, that presents things in a completely different light. And then some people are like, Oh, well, yeah, no, now I think something different. And yeah. So I don't know. It's uh, it's uh, challenging times. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So, um, next, uh, bit of feedback comes from, um, deep weed, uh, a listener and, and often uh, commenter, uh, who writes, um, uh, thanks. Um, and we, and we thank you for your thank you. Um, he says, I have a real life microbiology problem to dissect probably an easy answer, but the discussion is the fun part. You know it. Um, so we have a tea maker and my general procedure is to clean it each night and leave the components out to dry in the morning. I set it up by filling the basket with loose leaf black tea, and then it sits for up to four hours. When it runs, it automatically lowers the basket into 212 degrees Fahrenheit water for 2.5 minutes. That sounds really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, oh, speaking of tea, I do, I do want to give a shout out to, um, uh, to, uh, Jasmine Blossom Tea from Stash Tea Company. I recently discovered, they're not a sponsor, uh, but that is a, if you not like yet. a Jasmine green tea, it is a really delicious green tea. So, um, yeah, so Stash, uh, Jasmine Blossom tea. It's what I'm drinking right now or what I was drinking till I finished it. So, all right, um, back to the tea. Um, so risk question, still uh, reading from uh, deep, deep weed here. Um, uh, in what I think is an overabundance of caution in cases where I clean up the tea maker in the morning and it's still wet, I won't set the tea brewer up because I'm avoiding putting tea into a wet container to sit for four hours. So what's the real risk here, he asks. From, from my understanding, loose leaf black tea has a relatively high starting total micro count, not a great indicator, I know, um, with a somewhat high chance of pathogens like E. coli or salmonella species. Four hours probably isn't that long uh, for uh, growth, plus there's literally a boiling water bath after. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, that's good. good. Um, I'm concerned about heat-stable toxins, but I guess I, I'm guessing it's a low-risk scenario, all things uh, considered. So, um, I, so there's two things I want to link to, um, one is, uh, you know, and this is a perennial story about uh, fecal coliforms in tea. There's a great paper uh, that was published in Journal of Food Protection by Zhao et al., uh, including uh, Mike Doyle and Larry Bouchard uh, on the on the authors list. This is from 1997, and that's the health pre prevalence health re relevance and the presence of fecal coliforms in iced tea and leaf tea. And then the other thing I want to link to is a patent um, by um, um, Mike Serigliano and others at the Lipton Tea Company. And I, I know Mike because uh, we have some, some friends in common, um, and uh, he did a lot of uh, great uh, tea microbiology research at TJ Lipton. And so, so, so we'll link to those two documents. But the basic idea is that, yes, tea, tea can grow microorganisms, and I certainly wouldn't leave tea around for a long time. Um, if there are pathogens in the tea, uh, apparently over time, it seems like they will grow. Um, although it's not, it's not, uh, that's not completely definitively settled by the, the two links that I'm going to share in terms of deep weeds question though. I really don't – because he's not talking about brewing tea and leaving it, right? He's talking about what's the risk from tea being in association with uh, a moist basket where there's right. a little bit of moisture. And I think the, the answer as he's sussed out is that it's a relatively low risk. This is not a – 
uh, yeah, there, there, you might get some local growth of the organisms, but as he points out, um, you are putting it into boiling water. Uh, Toxin-producing microorganisms like uh, Staph aureus or B. cereus, I don't think are going to grow terribly well. And in that, in those cases, probably having a lot of microorganisms on the tea is actually going to help you because they're going to compete against um, the bacillus or the Staphylococcus. So again, relatively, uh, relatively small risk. Um, not, not something I would worry about. And then. Of course, uh, because of his name, um, uh, he's going to ask us about weed. Um, uh, 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 well, so, so a couple of follow-up questions. Uh, what if the tea definitely contained feces and human pathogens? What if it wasn't sitting for four hours, rather four days? And again, I think I answered that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what if the tea you made um, – uh, what are, what if the tea you made with this four-day-old wet leaf mixture itself sat out for four days? Okay, I think we answered that. And then finally, his last question, what if the tea was cannabis? Um, I, 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 you know, uh, cannabis is uh, no more or less risky than other types of leafy greens that sit in association with water. So, um, yeah, I don't recommend it. <laughs> right, right. And, well, not for four days. <laughs> not for four days, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, and uh, cannabis or or not, um, and, that... and we'll 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 link to his super nice looking and very expensive um, Breville tea maker as well. Um, that looks really cool. I'm not I'm not sure I want to spend that much on a tea maker, but boy, that looks super cool. I didn't see that. I clicked on this before. I didn't see the price. This is a this is a serious tea maker. Three three forty nine. It is. It is. That's nice. that's a lot. That's a lot of bucks there. Nice, nice, cool. Thanks, thanks to Deepweed as always. Always. Um, all right. So we got deep weed. Oh, hey. So, okay. Here's a, this is a question that, that also came from deep New England. Um, and I'll, you know, uh, hi. I wonder if sometimes on your podcast you would consider discussing what being a process authority means. Um, I was surprised to learn that there's, um, no, no formal uh, certification needed to become one. Love to hear your advice on evaluating them. How do people know they will give them the right advice based on the product and process? Uh, it, this is a great question. And, I don't, and the answer is you don't know. I have no right? idea. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> the answer is you don't know, right? Like anybody, literally any, and, and so we will, we will definitely link to the, the link that uh, Deep New England sent to us, uh, which is an FDA page entitled Guide to Inspections of Low Acid Canned Foods 9. Um, and it just talks about what is a process authority. And basically a process authority is, is somebody that is considered to have expert opinion. Um, and you could just say you're a process authority and, and you, and then, and it's, yeah, it's a little bit scary. So hopefully big companies know what they're doing and, and, but I, I do worry about, um, you know, smaller people being taken advantage of. Um, <clears throat> the other things that we, we will link to is we will link to, um, what is called IFTIPS, which is the Institute for Thermal Processing Specialists. This is kind of like the the uh, food science conference for process authorities. So these are people that are interested in this topic, and so that's would be a good place to hang out. Um, and then also there is a workshop uh, that is created that was created by the Grocery Manufacturers Association, uh, which used to be the uh, National Food Processors. Association, which used to be the National Canners Association, and they basically have a thermal processing professional training program. Now, 
it says uh, this it, it, reading from the and this was last offered in 2017. It, it looks like it's not going to be offered again anytime in the future. Not that I can see. And and reading from their website, it says specially built for professionals working towards becoming a recognized process authority. GMA equips you not only with the what's and the when's of food processing, but also why specific steps used in the development of processes are so vital. So. Um, <clears throat> the, taking this course will not turn you into a certified processed authority because there is no such thing. But if you were interested, this would be a great place to start. And then again, I would also recommend attending the IFTIPS conference. Um, now, I don't know what's going on with this course because, like I said, they don't have any ones offered in the future. And if you look at the list of um, <clears throat> folks that, that are teaching it, I know some of these people were recently let go from GMA. <laughs> so um, – not sure they're going to be able to teach this course in the future because they, they've, they've lost a lot of the expertise of people that, that do this. So, yeah, so that's my, that's my two cents. Um, but, uh, yeah, be, be careful. Uh, if you're going to hire a process authority, make sure this is somebody that actually knows what they're doing. And we should, we should explain too, for the listeners that, <clears throat> that are not intimately involved in the world of food safety, a process authority is somebody who develops the time and temperature combinations generally for low acid canned foods that is, you know, like Campbell's soup can, Campbell's soup soup or, you know, canned green beans or, or whatever, or acidified foods, which is a specific uh, category under the regulations. Um, I personally, I do process authority work, but not that kind of process authority work. So I will work with food companies that have a cooling deviation uh, where they're cooking large pieces of meat and they don't cool it according to the regulations. Um, and they give me some times and temperatures and I, I can do an estimation of risk following information, guidance from, from uh, USDA Food Safety Inspection Service. And I also do the same thing for um, people that have uh, meat cooking deviations. So let's say you're cooking um, I don't know, roasting chickens or, or, or making cooked pieces of meat. Um, I, I will I will do those calculations because I feel comfortable with that and I think the liability is smaller. If you screw up as a process authority for a low acid canned food, we're talking about botulism. And I, I mean, I probably have it within my uh, wheelhouse to learn to do this, but uh, you know, and, and it's, it's academically interesting. Um, but, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a serious investment and you pretty much do it. If you're going to do it, that it's kind of a full-time thing that you need to do. Yeah. The, so, um, I, I, I'm gonna, I, I don't know why I just texted you this passage, but it was from the, um, uh, message that, um, the deep new England initially sent us that kind of defines what FDA is thinking yeah. of a process authority yeah. is. So it's, it's a person who has expert knowledge of thermal processing requirements for low acid foods, packaged hermetically sealed containers. This is from the low acid canned food, um, uh, um, uh, regulation knowledge can be obtained by education or experience or both expert implies experience knowledge knowledge and achievement as well as recognition as an authority on a subject usually by one's peers and and so that um coupled with and i, I sent another link to afto mm -hmm. yep. has yep. um sort of a list of and of food processing authorities and i wonder like i what i don't know is how do people get on the list Right, like, how does AFTO evaluate the food processing authority, or do they, or do they? Can I just email them up and say, "Hey, I'd like to be on your food processing authority list"? 
Yeah, it's good. It's a good question. I don't I don't know the answer. Um, but but boy, if I was AFTO, I would certainly be wanting to know. <laughs> I would want to know the answer to that question. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't see I don't see anything. Uh, I don't see anything on this list that says how you get on it. Right. Like, and yeah. I know I, I mean, I list uh, process authorities on my Rutgers website and I, I don't endorse them, but I say these are people that do this work. Um, and if you want to be uh, added to this list, send me an email. Right. And, and invariably people don't don't ever email me, but some, sometimes they do. Um, but yeah, this is a good list. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's just like it's kind of an interesting one. Of um, so, if I yeah, like what what is the what's the process? I don't you know I don't think we really uh, you know to deep New England's question. I think it's it's kind of variable and it's not like a certification because it doesn't mean well or maybe maybe AFTO says hey you have to have gone through this GMA course that we referenced earlier. Yeah. Um, to be part of it, but I, I well, just thought, but, was... but no, because they, because they have foods that are, that are not covered by that course. Right, right? right. So, well, and this is really interesting. So I just clicked on Pennsylvania because I, one, one of the guys that used to teach at the GMA course is now, um, just a, a private consultant and he's based in Pennsylvania, but he's not on the Pennsylvania list. But when I clicked on that, I see, uh, Luke Laborde, who, who I saw at the kneecaps meeting, who's a, a colleague of ours in, in food science at Penn state and it has a name and a contact, um, and then and no under problem. Processes, yeah. it's blank, and under food, it's blank. So apparently, Luke is a process authority, but not for any foods or any processes. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay, and he's on the list. So he's on the list. All right, we should ask. We're gonna let's. Uh, we'll do a little investigative journalism here. Let's talk to the to the after folks. And by talk to them, I mean uh, maybe I'll, we'll email someone like um, uh, people that we know. So cool. All right. Um, great, right. great question from deep new England. Yes. Fantastic question. And, and one that comes up a lot. Um, and so I was really glad that she asked it so we could talk about it. So, yeah. um, one, one more question. I don't know if, uh, if you have anything to say on this, I I'm hesitant to reveal too much. So let's just, I don't want to give somebody a free ad. So, uh, so this is, uh, from, uh, somebody that I'm going to call deep code for reasons that will become clear. Uh, Deep Code writes, I'm a restaurateur looking to improve food safety and employee accountability in my store. I spoke to a friend who owns several Chick-fil-A locations, and he recommends a product, a software platform called Redacted. I'm not going to give them a free ad. He says that over 1,000 Chick-fil-A stores use this software for labeling, checklists, temps, etc. I wonder if you guys have heard of this software. Obviously, Chick-fil-A has. And what tools you'd recommend to an owner looking to improve in-store operations. Uh, how do you, I mean, and if you, if you want to reveal the name of the software, by all means, go ahead. But I, uh, anyway, that, that's, that's kind of my first reaction. I have not heard of this particular product that was mentioned. Um, what are your thoughts, Ben? Yeah. So, um, I had not heard of it, um, either. Um, and we do a little bit of work with some Chick-fil-A folks. Um, and so it's not something that's, that's come up in, in our discussions, but I did do a little bit of digging and I will, I think we can reveal the name cause I've got an answer that's okay. going to reveal a bunch of other oh. names as well. Oh, good. Cool. Um, so it's called Jolt and I did a little bit digging on, on Jolt and, and it's a, I mean, it's a, a management package that includes things like log forms, inspections, uh, being able to, uh, schedule, um, uh, checks uh, throughout a day for managers or employees, to, you know, managing labels. It, it, I mean, it's just a, it's a management software. There are other ones out there, and so I'm gonna uh, two of I'm only I'm gonna mention two that I that I have some experience with um, through a couple other projects. I know that that um, EcoLab has has been 
um, using, and I can't remember what part, if it's part of EcoSure or one of their products, they, they have something that does like a dashboard like this that, that includes, um, you know, scheduling and, and tracking compliance and uh, internal checks versus external checks and giving management tools. And then um, also a, a group um, that we're doing some work with right now, uh, a company called Testo, um, also has um, management uh, software like this for thermometer um, logs and temperature logs. Um, and, and so so I think, I mean, to, um, uh, to Deep Code's question, I, I don't know if any of these are better or worse than others, because I think it's hard to figure out until you are looking at what your process is and what it is you're trying to manage. Um, and and my, my suggestion is look at lots, get as many demos as you can, um, figure out what you what you want out of it. And I don't think any of these are, are magic in they're gonna make food safer. I think what they're built to do is to give more information and data and accountability to um, uh, to managers and to other um, uh, you know other decision makers risk, risk managers um, and decision makers in a in a business and and I, I would I'd look at as, as many of these as, as you could and there's I mean I only mentioned two others there's probably fifteen others um, you know, I would uh, I, I wouldn't uh, guess that that there are lots of other um, uh, folks out there that have these types of systems. Yeah, and I would say, you know, do do your homework, right? Because it depends on what you want. Um, this uh, this Jolt software talks about operating income, employee turnover, productivity increase, so stuff that's completely unrelated to food safety, but but that they bundle food safety into that, right? Um, EcoSure um, is mostly food safety, or, or EcoSure, which is part of EcoLab, used to be Audits International, is uh, is is focused on food safety, right? And then and then the one that the last one that you mentioned, this uh, this Testo which sounds like a made up name for a company. I mean, honestly, Testo. Yes. Testo. We test things. Um, they do a lot of testing. Yeah. Uh, but, but Testo is software that specifically interfaces with their temperature monitoring. Right. right. And so you go all the way from just software that's going to manage your temperature monitoring to a bundled food safety program to a bundled restaurant improvement program that deals with things that are not related to food safety. And I'm sure the prices are different. Um, and, and in the end, if you, if you were really clever as a computer programmer, you could probably write your your own software that would that would do all of this with some sort of relational database. I mean, essentially, that's what we've done with the work uh, that we do for Rutgers Dining, right? I have an access relational database, which tracks uh, sanitation results and temperature results. Um, we don't collect the temperature data automatically. A graduate student sticks a probe into a, a container and then writes it down and then later on puts it into a computer, right? So so we everybody has these sorts of solutions. You just have to figure out what works for you and what your, what, you know, where are your costs and where are you, what, how much are you willing to spend and, you know, what, what, are, you, what are you looking for in terms of the features? Uh, yep, absolutely. So, yeah, do your do your homework. I think that's a that's a really good good answer. Cool. Yep. Um, there was something else in here that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Well, wh while you do that, let me just mention uh, about this this what we developed for Rutgers University Dining. So this is uh, this is some software that I basically wrote a relational database in Microsoft Access, which interestingly is still supported on the Windows side, but has never been supported on the Mac side. Uh, there's an equivalent product for Mac called FileMaker, and I once I, I have you know it's one of my the legacy apps that keeps me tied to running Windows occasionally on my Mac. 
And so um, at one point I reached out to some companies that do basically product development. I said, hey, what would it cost to basically take what I've done in in Microsoft Access and convert it into a FileMaker database that would do the same thing so I could like cut that, you know, one of those final strands that, that keeps me tethered to the world of Windows. And I got quoted uh, $25,000 as a price. So um, it's apparently not cheap. Um, so, hey, if you want to buy this uh, Access relational database that I developed, um, I'll take less than $25,000 for it. So, um, <laughs> but it does require it does require a couple of graduate students to to create the data. So you're gonna have to take them. You have to take the graduate. <laughs> no, students. No, no, you're not. You're not gonna get. You're not taking my graduate students. No, no, no way. You get your own goddamn graduate students. Um, but <laughs> but I'll but I'll but I'll give you I'll give you a blank copy of the relational database. Nice. And nice. with with no training or instruction on how to use it. it just here it is. So make me make me an offer. Oh, um, all right. <laughs> it did take a lot of my to develop, but I and and it's it's really sad because I developed it a long time ago, back when I used Windows, um, which tells you how long ago it was. And I mostly remember how to use it. Um, and I have to go in and fix stuff occasionally, and it's it's not it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. Oh, um, all right. Anyway, I I stalled. No, you're good. You're good. I found I found what I was looking for, and this. So there, we, we had a uh, something in our uh, writing buddies uh, text about. Um, a, a rap video um, that uh, uh, Linda Harris sent, sent to us. Do you remember this? This is from no. a couple weeks ago. It's not oh. Cardi B talking about the politics. No, it? no, it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to send this. Uh, uh, well, I, I can't send you the link because I'm in. I, I'm. I'm re like looking at our old conversation. So. Um, the conversation goes like, oh, maybe I can send it to you at the same time. Oh no, I can't. I lost it. Oh, um, it. it it is uh, essentially goes like this. Um, okay, now I'm listening to a rap song about fat soluble vitamins by a Canadian professor. Um, my response was, that sounds terrible. Linda says, want me to share the link? And you say, that depends. Do you want us to make fun of them on the podcast? <laughs> yes, I remember this. I remember this. Um, so so this is, uh, in fact, titled The Fat-Soluble yep. Vitamin Wrap. Um, yep. It is uh, published by U Manitoba Streaming. Yep. Michael Eskin with music by Ezra Eskin from the University of Manitoba. Here's the the shame in this this video. There are so many great things about it. It, it includes a, a poster, like a, what, what we would see as an academic science poster that goes through fat soluble vitamins. Like it's it's the storyboard for it. Um, it it's pr printed like you would see at a conference, but you can't read anything. <laughs> one one iota of what is on this poster, and there's there's and I think it's Michael Eskin. I don't know for sure. It might be Ezra, who is um, uh, described as the fat soluble vitamin wrap, but it is not a wrap whatsoever. Um, it is what I described as an Eastern European folk song. Uh, and and I said rap is disappointed that he named this Eastern European folk song a rap. Um, and it, it, I, the, here's the shame of this whole video, Don, it's only got 587 views. This thing should be, <laughs> how many of them are us? I, I, I mean, eight, 12, but this should be in the tens of thousands. We need to share this far and wide. I'm going to tweet about it, um, in a couple minutes because this is really one of the greatest, um, videos I, I can remember seeing. I think that, um, that many of our podcast listening friends will love this. Um, and not by just, one of the greatest, you mean one of the worst? I, yes. I mean, but okay. one in the same, one in the same, Don. Um, it is, it's amazing. 
Uh, there, it starts with like the the countdown that you would see on old time videos and movies with a circle like a ten, nine, eight, you know, seven. Um, you know, the, I think that they used in uh, you know back back in old TV shows when you know where the commercial was coming in, and then uh, then uh, either Michael or or Ezra uh, standing with their arms or his arms uh, crossed uh, with the with the newsboy hat on. Um, and it, it is just, it is something to behold. I think I can play a little bit here. Um, can you hear that, Don? I, I can hear that. Eat them every day. I yeah. remember watching this. A, A D E and K. We eat them every day. We eat them every day. A D and K. Eat them every day. So anyway, this is the last thing I wanted to share. Please check out the fat soluble vitamin wrap um, and make it make it more. Let's let's do the like have the food safety talk listeners get this at least over a thousand views. Um, and and we it needs to go. It needs. It's a big deal. This thing is hilarious. And and I and I will say that uh, so that that is indeed uh, Michael Eskin, who is a professor at the University of Manitoba in the Department of Human Nutritional Sciences. Um, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and and he's a real guy. Um, uh, he looks old. I don't know how old he is. He doesn't have the years when he got his degree. Um, but he is a he's a, a lipid chemist, and uh, he won the IFT's uh, Stephen Chang Award um, for in best 20, best in, rap in, video. Is that <laughs> no no. <laughs> Uh, for uh, lip, lipid or flavor science, for significant contributions to lipid or flavor science. He won that in 2012. And uh, the Stephen Chang Award is named for Stephen Chang, who is a department chair uh, at Rutgers University. And he, But he had retired uh, prior to me joining uh, the faculty. He had just just, re- just retired a few years before uh, I was hired. So, so there's, a, there's even a Rutgers uh, connection to that. So there you go. Uh, I'm constructing the tweet that involves the Stephen Chang Award. <laughs> okay, um, and we will we will link to uh, both the YouTube video to uh, Professor Eskin's um, University of Manitoba uh, web uh, website, and also uh, to the IFT uh, Stephen Chang Award um, uh, page uh, for 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 the the 2012 when uh, when Michael Eskin won the award. Oh, this is so good. Um, so yeah, yeah, this is this is great. And I and I think uh, I think with that, that's all I had on my list. <laughs> okay, I think that's a show. I think that's a show. Um, all right, well, uh, um, continue to to like reach out to us and give us feedback and uh, send us your questions. Uh, we'll talk about all the stuff you want us to talk about. Probably, we also will probably just talk about the stuff we want to talk about. Uh, but a lot of times, uh, that is the same thing as what you, as the listener, wants to talk about or ask us about at least. So, um, Don, as always, I'll uh, talk to you later. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye.
so glad you remember to talk about that video. Oh, I know. I was so I remembered that there was something like there's a YouTube video, and then I was like, wait, I put it. How did I put it in here? And it was in a text file because I'm using. I don't know if you know this on an iPad. If you highlight any text and then hit the share button mm-hmm. and put it into like pick Dropbox, it'll just share it as a text file. So it, it's oh. really easy. Yeah, it's really easy. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure it does it on the phone, but I've been using my iPad so like a lot, a lot, and that's where that's how I did that. So here's the tweet. Is it, okay, oh. and it went, did it, did it went into our yep um, food safety talk uh, folder. Yep, yep, yep. So when you click on it, like I can highlight. Um, so you highlight any words in an email. On... Oh, but it all right, but it's a, but it's a file named uh, with a very helpful file name. File January twenty four. Correct. Et cetera, et cetera, with a YouTube link, right? Yeah, that's that's the yeah. I mean that yeah, that's. Anyway, but I think needs... you can rename it. Okay. Like well, I... but can you? Yeah. Well, the question is, how easily can you rename it from your from your iPad? So. Well, I think it gives you an option, maybe. Yeah. Well, so what I what I've taken to doing is when I drop something in using the the sharing thing is I give it a I give it a I I rename the file something you know like like right. top ten food safety from Daniluk right so yeah so, oh so, we didn't talk we didn't talk about is it is it safe to eat snow uh, <sighs> which was shared uh, to us uh, from um, by Max Temkin so oh I didn't even see yeah. that one was that in the yeah uh, well we'll come back we'll get to that one we'll get we'll get to the next time so, yeah yeah um. The tweet reads, this one IFT Stephen Chang Award for best vitamin-related rap video. <laughs> That's not true. That's fake news. <laughs> right, right, Don? Right at bug counter? Right uh, at bug. Hey, I'm, a, I'm an IFT member now. <laughs> I've, been okay. on, I've been off and on an IFT member. And then when I went to Louisville um, and, and talked at an IFT affiliate meeting, someone asked, how long have you been a member? And I was like, well, it's a kind of a complicated question. I mean, currently I am not a member, but I have been a member in the past, like over the last, let's say 15 years, I've been a member like three times. And then I thought, <laughs> then I thought, you know, it's, I really should. Um, cause they, I, I, I'm on one of the, I'm on the IFT like speaking affiliate speakers list. Um, so, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and, and just be a, I'm just going to be a member. I'm not going to go yeah. probably, question, probably. The, the question is not how long have I been a member, but how many times how have many, I been a member? Right. How many <laughs> and times? the answer is three or four, three or four. I can't remember. Um, and, and the other question is like, when did you go to IFT? Oh, I don't know. One of the times it was in Chicago. What, what, what? <laughs> that narrows it down. Right. It could, it was one of the times it was either in Chicago and maybe a couple times when it was in new Orleans. Um, and I've never been to it when it's been in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I've, I've not let my IFT membership lapse. Uh, it's only my attention and my affection that have lapsed. <laughs> so, um, oh man, that's awesome. Okay. So, okay. I've just tweeted that so, cause this, we need to get this hits. I want, I, this is, it's, it is such a great video. All right. So when do you want to, when should we do this again? That is a good question. So two weeks from now is a little problematic for me because I'm in and for you. Are you going to um, San Diego? For I am. Afi? So are you going for – are you going to go for the food safety meeting as well as like the the advisory committee meeting on Sunday as well as their food safety group? How long are you there for? You, <laughs> your silence makes me think that you don't know what I'm talking about. I I know what you're I know what you're asking. Um, uh, 
and basically we are we're going to be there for four days. Okay. Um, not because I love Affy, but we love San Diego, and it's it's the cold weather here, and so uh, San Diego is nice, and it's one of our favorite cities. So we're going to go for four days, and and I'm picking up the tab for. You know, Affy pays for two days, and I'll, I'm going to pick up the other tab for the other two days for us just to have a vacation. Cool. So. Well, I'm going to be there. So I'm not coming in for the lunch um, thing on the Monday. I'm in Reno, Nevada, teaching a workshop all week. I'm flying to Reno Monday morning. <laughs> Is it on gambling? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's totally on gambling. Uh, it's on uh, how not to gamble with your variants. Um, in fact, that's what we should nice. retitle re, re, uh, it. So I got to go. I'm going to be in Reno Monday afternoon, start the workshop, uh, train the trainer thing, Tuesday. Then Tuesday evening, fly to San Diego, talk Wednesday, fly back to Reno Wednesday night. Or back, yeah, back to Reno Wednesday night, and then back here, I think, Thursday overnight or something. Um. But the the Affy the Affy thing is um, Sunday. Oh wait, in March. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna miss. So Affy has two meetings. So they have the scientific advisory panel, right? And then they have the um, scientific. Then they have their food safety group conference. Okay. And I'm going to the food safety group conference on oh. Wednesday. Oh, I'm I that and that's the Wednesday following the 27th. That's correct. Yeah, the Wednesday. Okay, I'm I am I'm not invited to that, or at least if I was, I I didn't choose to go. So well, well, there you go. I will be there, but okay. that's going to impact. So all of this like um, scheduling, which is always fascinating for the listeners, is to tell you that I can't probably record anything that week. Oh, okay, that whole week. Yeah, so we could do something like, um, the 22nd. Uh, although it would have to be kind of like late, like two dull. Yeah, I'm I'm flying to San Diego on the 20th. Okay, that won't work at all. Um, I'm available on the 21st. I think I'm available on the 21st too. I've got a meeting. I could. What could we do on the 21st? It's Thursday. Perfect. Could you do something like 2:30 till 4:30? Yes. Okay, let's do that. Um. And that's, I mean, it's only a week away, but that it's better than the week of the fourth. People, people love us, Don. They want. Well, more. and I here's the thing: I would rather do an episode uh, every week yeah. than an episode every three weeks. And so, yeah, damn right. Um, as long as we can make it work with our calendars, so yeah. and we'll have stuff to talk about for sure. It's uh, um, that's going to be episode one one seventy five. Is that Whoa. true? Yeah. So this one, this one was one. Oh no, this is one seventy five. We just did one seventy five. Whoa! Hey, that's our. Is that sesquicentennial? I think that's something. <laughs> Sasquatch centennial. Sasquatch centennial. One seventy. So one seventy six. Uh, Yeah, it is. It's called a sesquicentennial. Is that true? No anniversary. <laughs> There's a Wikipedia page for our anniversary. 175. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Sesquicentennial is 150. We're 25 episodes past that. This is our Dodron Bicentennial. Seriously? That's what it's called? Yeah. we should. In fact, that's the show title, isn't it? It's the show title. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> done. <laughs> that was easy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry if, for the listeners that actually had to get to After Dark to hear us say this. 
but it Screw is it. yeah sorry this is yeah. so Don't, uh so, so oh uh, i just i just texted linda and michelle that <laughs> i'm sure they're excited about that uh yeah do, i got it so do dodrin bicentennial it uh it is it, oh, it could also be a do, oh there's a whole bunch here a, a do dodra dodra bicentennial uh dequa bicentennial a dosqui centennial a demi semi septennial. <laughs> a demi semi. I mean, half calf. <sighs> half calf latte. One seventy five. Um, it's a dodrins is a Latin uh, contraction of dequadrins, which means a whole unit less a quarter. Um, and one hundred seventy five is a quarter century less than the next whole, which is a bicentenary of one seventy five. <laughs> I I I uh, I know what dodecahedron means is because that's a that's a twenty sided uh, die that uh, you use in Dungeons and Dragons. So yeah, well I <laughs> that that's true. And also um I'm from a sports ball term on uh, outside of a golf ball, there are oh, uh, some yeah. of them are dodecahedrons. They that's how yeah. they make their little uh, their messages. This is yeah. Um. So this is. Uh, oh my God! There's like so many different names for 175. Isn't this crazy? Who knew? Wow! I knew. So you know, what? I was really quick on sesquicentennial because yep. when I was in grade school, Toronto, the city, the city of uh, of of Tarans, um, that I that I grew up in, the city of Tron, um, uh, had its 150 year anniversary, and I remember huh. learning the term yeah. sesquicentennial, and I just remember that that was a super cool term. And it yeah. was seven years old. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm just sitting here looking at all these names. Oh yeah, a turkey. Well, so, we're gonna, so we'll link. We'll link to the uh, Wikipedia page on anniversary. So, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And any any of these is good. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, any no. We're going straight to Dodran. Dodran bicentennial. Do, do, Dodran's bicentennial. Yep, Dodran's bicentennial. All right. Um. All right. Well, um, I have – all right. I think that's all we need. I got everything I need. Uh, I'll drop the uh, links in Dropbox. Uh, all right. Sounds good. I will uh, hopefully get this uh, up later tonight. That's what she said. Oh, nice. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>